0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Merry, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's so great to be with all of you here um, at Christmas time. I just love being with my River Bluff family at Christmas time. You guys just bring me so much joy. And, you know, leading up to this message, you know, I, I uh, had a message on hope and I decided, okay, I'm just going to relax after that on Sunday, and then I'm going to get to work on this message on joy. I've got two weeks to prepare, so plenty of time. And then Monday, I didn't feel so good. I you know, felt a little bit off, and as the day progressed, I started feeling worse and worse and worse. And finally, I went home at 3 o'clock and climbed into bed and didn't get out again until 9.45 the next morning. I got this flu bug. And, you know, I I don't know if if you're like me, but, you know, it just kind of lingered on through the week with just sneezing and coughing, and, you know, I I did come to church last Sunday, and I've got all my tissues, and ever since COVID, I feel like if I cough or sneeze in church that everybody's going, oh, he's got COVID, he's spreading it, but it's just a bad flu bug, but... Then I stepped into this week, this this previous week, and I was like, well, you know, I really need to get going on my message on joy. And it seemed like there was just this attack from the enemy with all these different frustrating circumstances that came along. Joe and I were talking before the message, and we said, you know, sometimes we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, So you're gonna kinda hear my journey to joy as as we go through this. And I'd like to start with our um, scripture passage from the second chapter of Matthew, Matthew. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. So what wisdom, what lessons can we learn from the wise men? They, they come from this faraway land, they saw this star when it rose, and they believe that it's the king of the Jews. So Even though Jesus had been born to these poor parents and been born in a barn, in a manger, there was this heavenly announcement. You know, there wasn't an earthly announcement where decrees were going out or trumpets were playing, but something spectacular had happened, and the heavens gave evidence of that. And these wise men, when they saw this star, they reasoned, that the heavens were declaring the birth of a king. So they packed up and they went toward it. They moved toward Israel. Now, there's some debate over the stars because scholars feel that it was not a regular star. Uh, Wise men knew the stars. They navigated by them. And this star arose and they witnessed it. Now, a star in its zenith would appear over Jerusalem just as much as it would appear over Bethlehem. But this star was different. And when these wise men saw it, they rejoiced exceedingly, which leads us to believe that the star wasn't always visible. And some believe that for the star to actually move and rest over the place where Jesus was, that this star was really in a different realm, you know, somewhere between the earth and the heavens in there. But it was more like that pillar of fire and cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness. So we know that Jesus is born and he's come to his own people, the Jews, who would later reject him. But these Gentiles, these men from a wise land, have come to worship him. And they seek out this newborn king. They honor Him with presents and gifts. They fall down before Him. They find Him. And the story of the wise men shows us that God will reveal Himself. He makes Himself visible to the world. Our part is to seek Him and follow Him wherever He may lead, even a foreign country. The wise men teach us to honor God, to worship Him, To bring him our very best, they brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. We can bring him our treasure, our time, our talents. But in contrast to these wise men, we have King Herod. And the commentaries point out, I'd never realized this before, but they feel that Herod was very short. He was probably about four foot two. So he's this tiny little man, and maybe to compensate for his short stature, he did these great building projects. He did these fortresses, the Herodian and Masada. He did the Temple Mount. He did this whole water system around Jerusalem. And he was a really a great builder. But that is about the only positive things that we can say about Herod because emotionally, he was a mess. Herod was this evil combination of paranoia and cruelty. So you can imagine that's not a good combination you want in a king, someone who has complete power. And at one point, Herod thought that his wife Miriam and his sons were plotting to take over his throne. So he had them all killed, his own wife and his sons. There was a saying in Jerusalem that it's safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. And he knew the people wouldn't mourn for him when he died. And so he had this plan, he made this decree that his top officials would be executed upon his death. That way people would be mourning in the city of Jerusalem. That's just an awful thing to do. I mean, that's just a sicko guy. Now fortunately, when he did die, the officials realized, we don't have to follow this command, the guy's dead. So they, they didn't execute the top officials. And there was probably celebration in, in Jerusalem when he died, or maybe at least relief. So, knowing these facts about King Herod, imagine these wise men coming into Jerusalem and they begin asking about the newborn king. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star rise and have come to worship him. You know, they definitely weren't from Jerusalem. Herod was troubled, so all of Jerusalem was troubled. They were afraid of what he would do. I'm sure there were people saying, you know, you need to keep this quiet. And I keep noticing this this stark contrast between this evil king and the darkness of his reign and then God's son, who we know is the light of the world, coming into the scene. So this king, who killed his own wife and sons, is a tricky little guy. He calls together the priests and the scribes and, and asks them, where is the Christ to be born? Did you notice that? He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they tell him of the scriptures in the word of God, it indicates that it's Bethlehem. But think about Herod's question. Where is the Christ to be born? And of course, the Christ, that means the Messiah, the anointed one from God, from the line of David. David. And what does Herod do? First, he meets secretly with the wise men to find out when the star appeared. That's so he can know exactly how old this child is. How old is this child that I'm looking for? Second, he says, make sure you find him and then report back to me so that I can worship him too. But he only wanted to know so that he could kill him and eliminate the threat to his throne. Herod is asking the priests and scribes, where is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who they believed would restore all of Israel, throw off all oppressors? I want to kill that baby before he grows up and replaces me. I don't care about God's promises. I don't want my will and not the will of God. It's so terrible. I mean, I, I don't see how someone could actually think that way. I'm willing to fight against God. I'm willing to be a tool of Satan. I'm willing to kill God's anointed one, the Messiah, to stay in power. It's all about me. It's all about my kingdom. So as we look at joy this morning, I believe that one way that you can kill joy in your life is to insist on your will instead of God's will. And I believe that true joy is found in God's will, that joy can be found in the center of God's will. We all pray in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's because God's will is good and perfect and it's wrapped in his love and his mercy and his grace and in that will we experience joy. You know, Mellie and I have been watching uh, the new series of The Crown. Um, is anybody in here watching the new series of The Crown? Okay, we, we've got a few in there. For the rest of you, I'm just going to spoil it for you this morning. Because there, there's a part in there about Dodi, Fayad and Princess Diana that, that I want to talk about. And that was this relationship that developed between them. Dodi's father, Muhammad Fayad, had invited Princess Diana and her sons out to the south of France to spend time there around his yacht and all these areas. And then Mohammed Fayad contacts his son Dodi and demands that he come to spend time with Diana. Now, at this point, you have to understand that Dodi is engaged to be married. He's three weeks away from marrying a a lady that was a, a model from California. But the father didn't feel like she was good enough for their family. And he puts tremendous pressure on his son to get romantically involved with Diana. And the father feels that this would be a a glorious win for them and their family. And it's known in England that Muhammad Fayyad wanted British citizenship. And he hadn't been able to get it. And maybe he thought this would make this possible. So Dodi... Actually ends up breaking his engagement two days before he's to be married to this girl. He and Diana enjoy time together, and they get close, and a kind of a summer romance develops. Meanwhile, you see all these conversations between Doty and his father, and he tells Doty that you need to marry this girl. You need to propose to Diana. You need to seal the deal. And he tells Dodie, if you do this, I will finally be proud of you. Not only that, if you do this, I promise that I will give you half of the company. You will be an equal partner with me and my company. So at the end of the summer, Diana is set to go and meet up with her sons in England, but Dodie insists on a stopover in Paris so that he can buy a specific ring and propose to her. And of course, we know what happens in Paris. We have the tragic car crash that takes their lives. This father, Muhammad Fayyad, only wanted his will for his son to marry the princess and the prestige and the fame that he would enjoy from that. He manipulated the situation, put pressure on his son to achieve his will. But in the end, He loses his son. William and Harry lose their mother. The the whole world grieved. What he wanted, his will ended in tragedy. I'm not sure, but I, I don't believe he ever got the British citizenship that he so desired. But I believe this is an example of the consequences of putting our will first, ahead of God's will. And God's will is always best, even if we don't understand it at the time. I've had to personally learn this lesson. And I will admit that I have had the audacity to counsel God on how he should handle a situation. So, Lord, if you just answer my prayer this way, everything will be good. And I am so thankful that the Lord did not listen to me. Do you have some of those unanswered prayers that you thank God for? You know, I've mentioned uh, about a year ago what I call my toilet testimony. And this was, it was a sewage issue we were having at our family business. And I was going to use my influence with these government officials I knew to get it resolved. And it was a pride issue, and I fell flat on my face. But the Lord had a, a different plan, and God's was so much better. And the solution to the problem came through an individual that I personally had to forgive I had to forgive this individual and through that individual the sewage issue was solved in the most economical and efficient way possible and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God that he had done this and he'd done this through someone I'd had to forgive and I say that this morning because if you're holding on to unforgiveness it can block your joy. You know, if you go home today and you get on your computer and you just type in, you just Google forgiveness, it's amazing what comes up. It's clinical studies, clinical studies from Harvard and the Mayo Clinic, and they describe the healing properties of forgiveness, these radical healings down to a cellular level. And these are secular institutions doing this, but forgiveness is beneficial to our health and it's also God's best for us. So I just ask the question, is there someone you need to forgive this morning? Remember that forgiveness is is not saying that you weren't hurt. It's not saying that that person was right. It's not saying that you even have to have a relationship with that person. There are some people that are simply not safe and you need to put boundaries in your life. But we do have to forgive. We need to put that person in God's hands and and let it go from our bodies. And God commands us to to forgive so that our our sins are forgiven. And I know I need forgiveness a lot. And, And it makes sense that forgiveness has so many proven health benefits because unforgiveness has often been described as drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. So this morning, you may want to just ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, is there there someone I need to forgive? Don't let unforgiveness steal your joy, because if you can picture a seesaw, you can't have unforgiveness and joy at the same time. Another thing I want to talk about is sin, and I know (laughs) I'm doing this message on joy. I promise you, I'm not doing a fire and brimstone message this morning, but sin can really steal our joy. You know, as Christians, we, we kind of know when we're being disobedient. And we know we feel that guilt and shame. And it's hard to feel joy when you're feeling guilt and shame. It, it certainly takes the joy out of our lives. But the good news, the great news, is that we can ask for forgiveness and we know that God is faithful to forgive us. We can repent and we can turn away from our sin and experience his joy. And the truth is that God sees us through his son Jesus. This baby that was born in the manger grows up to be the perfect lamb of God who gives his life on a cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins. And we live according to God's word we live according to His commands. They're not restrictive. They're protective. And in that protection, the protection of the Lord, we find joy. I love Psalm 119 too. It said, joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. Staying in that, in that lane of God's commands. Now, I know we live in a time of disobedience to God's commands. It's commonplace. And our culture almost seems to celebrate this disobedience. And there are people that are followed on social media and people looking at what clothes they wear, what cars they drive, what house they live in, what resort they're staying at. And it seems as if they indulge in every worldly pleasure imaginable and live according to whatever desire, with no moral compass. But then, we hear about the broken marriages, the bitter divorce battles, the drugs and addiction, the depression, the suicide, and we wonder, what happened? Didn't they have everything? They didn't have joy. They didn't have Jesus. And I believe joy can be found in obedience to Christ. And we experience joy in so many different ways, but we can also experience joy even when the circumstances aren't well. I didn't have good circumstances this week, but as I looked in the book of Acts, at Peter and John and the apostles and what they were going through in that time period, you know, they were under tremendous pressure. They were teaching in the temple courts. We have Peter and John that that come to a man who's crippled there at the gate, who's been crippled from birth, and they say, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he walks. And they go in and they celebrate, and they're teaching all the people about Jesus. And the priests and the Sadducees don't like this. They call them in and they say, don't preach in this name. But they continue to do it so much so that they arrest them and then the Lord rescues them from prison. And the priests and Sadducees think that they're still in prison. And so they send for them, but they're not there. And then they find out they're back in the temple courts teaching about Jesus. So pick up with me in Acts 5, 27 through 29. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So these priests, they talk it over, they send them out, and they decide on a course of action. So let's pick up in verse 40. And when they had called in the disciples, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They beat them and the apostles left rejoicing. They were obedient to God and even in the fact that they were beaten, they couldn't stop their joy. Okay, I know you're saying, okay, Dean, I, I can see joy when something good happens, you know, something wonderful happens, but I don't know about this being beaten and experiencing joy. I, I don't understand how that could really happen. Let me share something with you from, from my life that, that happened. Um, I have a prayer group that meets on Friday morning. We've, we've met together since the, the early 90s. And one Friday morning, a friend of mine came in with this article that was based on the book of John, and it was describing the attributes of a Christian. And so it said things like conviction of sin and belief in Jesus as your Savior, and regular church attendance, and studying the Bible, and prayer, and I'm going through this list And I'm going, I'm kind of checking them off. I'm going, yeah, well, I'm definitely a Christian. I'm definitely a Christian. I'm kind of patting myself on the back, feeling pretty good. And then I come to this thing that says, will have been persecuted for your faith. And that stopped me. I said, well, I can't remember a time that I was persecuted for my faith. I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt. You know, I have a lot of Christian friends. I have some non-Christian friends, but I've never been persecuted for my faith. And I left that prayer group that day, and I was troubled. I was bothered by that. And so I had this conversation with the Lord. And I was like, Lord, honestly, I can't remember a single time that I felt like I was persecuted for for knowing you, for being a Christian, for being being vocal about that. I, I can't remember a time. And so time passed, you know, I kind of forgot about it, time went on, and it was about three months later, and I was at a cast party, I I did a lot of plays in the 90s in Somerville, and a couple in downtown Charleston, and just really enjoyed it, and had, you know, good people in there, Christians and non-Christians, but at this cast party, I was kind of the last one there, there was a guy, and there was a girl, and everybody else had kind of left the cast party, and I was kind of helping clean up. And these two individuals started talking about church, and they were kind of bashing church and Christians, you know, saying they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And so I felt like, you know, I needed to, you know, lean into that a little bit. And I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And I said, I I realize that there can be hypocrisy in the church. I said, but the truth is that, that we are all sinners, and we know that we're sinners, but we're trying to grow into Christ's likeness. They didn't like that answer. That that I thought it was perfectly logical and very good, but they didn't like it. And then they moved on to the Bible and said, "Well, you don't believe the Bible, do you?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, I believe the Bible. Of course, I believe the Bible. How can you believe the Bible? It's written by a bunch of men." I said, "Well, I believe they were men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit." inspired by the Holy Spirit. I said, well, you know, if you look at the gospels, the the accounts line up, and I believe they were writing. So every logical, calm answer I gave was met with just this venom, to the point that they then started attacking me and saying, Well, you're just stupid. You're just an idiot. And they're just going on and on. And I'm sitting there going, Wow, this is a I was more bewildered than anything. And so I said, "Well, you know, I think maybe it's it's best if I go home." They go, "Yeah, you should go home. Get out of here." And I was like, "Okay." So, I, but I'm driving home, and I started praying. I was just praying to the Lord, and I was like, "Lord, what was that? I've never experienced anything like that." We I mean, were in we're in Charleston. That was so crazy. And the Lord brought that article to my mind, and. I, the only way I can describe it is I had joy in that moment. I had real joy in that. It was it was amazing, and I describe it. as was kind of like I was a Boy Scout and I got my persecution badge. Look at there, yeah. And and I really I didn't feel anger towards them. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't really upset. I had an incredible peace. You know I I knew. That they were on a different path than me. Uh, if we look at Psalm 16:11, it says, "You made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore." Those individuals were on a different path, and I really was sad for them because I realized how lost they were and how unfulfilled their life was going to be without Jesus. And at the same time, I was experiencing this joy, really experiencing God's presence in that moment, which is another point that I'd like to make, and that is that joy is found in God's presence, in the presence of God. We can find joy there. Have you had those moments, those moments in your life when you really feel God's presence Maybe it's an answer to prayer that, that God has come through for you in a way that you know is God or, or maybe it's when you hold that newborn baby and you realize how much you love this child and at the same time you think, this is how my Heavenly Father loves me. It can be in a worship experience or a sunset. But I would encourage you to seek the Lord. I kind of had to do that this week. I had to practice the presence of the Lord, to kind of hear His voice. And it, it doesn't always have to be a big thing where, where you feel His presence. Uh, another friend of mine was telling me about an event that happened with his mother-in-law, and, and she's since passed on. And they kind of had a little tumultuous relationship anyway. So this made it a little bit more sweeter. But as she got towards the end of her life, her eyesight was really failing her and she had arthritis in her hands. Anyway, he invited the family over for a big steak dinner. And they blessed the food, and they're sitting down, and everybody was digging into their steaks. And he realized, my mother-in-law is not going to be able to, to enjoy this. It's going to be hard for her to cut up that steak, even see what she's doing. And so we'll call her Betty. He so Betty, let me, let me see your plate. And so he pulled her plate over, and he started cutting away the gristle and the, the bad pieces of the steak. And then he, he took his time and he cut up each piece into these little bite-sized pieces for his mother-in-law. And he said in that moment, he just felt the presence of the Lord. He felt just God's good pleasure at this small thing that he did for his mother-in-law. And I, I believe we can experience those moments, but I know that we have an enemy and one of my pastors, Ron Dillon, said that he be, he believed that one of the enemy's biggest strategies was to steal our joy, and I think that's true. So, so what do we do? You know, we we talked earlier about preaching or preaching the gospel to ourselves. Many times we have to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, and I love the example of David in the Bible, who actually says that, but. And it's after the Amalekites had come and raided when David and his men were away and they were in Ziklag, they came and raided his area and carried off all the goods and all the women and all the children, just took them. And and pick up with me in Samuel verse, uh, in chapter 30, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Anaheim of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God." So David strengthens himself in the Lord, his God. He inquires of the Lord, and the Lord said, go after him. So they go after him, they defeat the Amalekites, and they get all of their goods and all of their women and children back. And then they have great joy. And we can have joy. So many times, joy is a state of mind. You know, we do know that there are... People that are more on the pessimistic side and people who are more on the optimistic side. I tend to be more of that glass half full person, but there are some what I call Eeyores out there. Does anybody know an Eeyore? Um, you know, kind of like this guy. It could be worse, not sure, but it could be. They're just not happy people. They tend to be more pessimistic. I've got a friend, and we've tried to encourage him, and we've kind of challenged him on his negativity. So now when we see him, he'll say that he's blessed. But it goes something like this. We'll go, hey, Bill, how you doing today? And he'll go, I'm blessed. <laughs> well, you kind of let, let your face catch up with that and the rest of your body and your demeanor. You know, I would say that, that this friend of mine is the opposite of Judy Kugler. I call her joyful Judy, and she has to be because she's married to crazy Kevin. But she is an optimist, she is a person half full, and, and you have these pessimistic people. So how do we do this? How do we practice joyfulness? We know Proverbs tells us in, in verse 17:22: a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I I think that we can practice joyfulness by thinking on those good things in our life. Philippians 4.8, it's not going to come up on the screen, but it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Do you have a fond memory that brings you joy? I'm going to tell you one of mine because uh, it involves my granddaughter, who I love. I've got two granddaughters now, but this was my first granddaughter, Stella. And I'm at my mom's house, and I'm in the den. I'm in my mom's recliner. She's a tiny woman, so it's a little recliner. So I'm almost on the floor in this recliner, and I'm looking into the kitchen. Because you can from this angle of the den. The rest of the den can't see into the kitchen. And there's such wonderful smells in the house because mom has fixed a roast. And there's macaroni and cheese and green bean casserole. All those smells are there. And I can see my daughter-in-law and my granddaughter Stella in the kitchen. And Stella's just had her bath and she's wearing her fuzzy pink pajamas with the feet in it. And she's looking into the den, and she kind of creeps up to the door like she doesn't know if she's going to come into the den or not. And anyway, I'm the only one that sees her, so I put out my arms, and she giggles and just runs across the den and jumps into my arms. And I'm just loving on her, and she just stayed right there with me, and I can smell the Johnson baby shampoo in her hair, and I am just mush, absolute mush. My son looks over at me and goes, well, how are you feeling, Grandpa? I'm like, I don't know. i got to buy her a pony or something. I, you know. <laughs> it was just such a wonderful time. You know. And as I thought about that memory, I was like, Lord, Lord where were you in that memory? And, and the Lord, it seemed like the Lord said to me, Dean, that's how I feel about you. I want you to run across the floor and jump in my lap. I want to spend time with you. We all have those those memories that can bring joy, even in the circumstances, even when we're struggling. So I'd like to do an experiment this morning. I want everyone to leave here with joy this morning. So if everyone, would you close your eyes for me? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to picture that moment in your life, that moment where you had that level of joy, that moment where you felt really loved, And appreciated, the one that kind of puts you in mush. Just picture exactly where you're at, whether you're sitting or standing, what the sounds were around you, maybe things that that you could smell. And then I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, where are you in this moment? Where are you, Father? I I just lift up my family of River Bluff. And Lord, I hope that, that they've had a moment of joy with you. I hope they've gone to a place where they felt that same level of love that I felt and then knew that that was how you felt about me. That that is the joy that you wanted me to have in that moment. Lord, we can, we can look and we can complain about the commercialization of Christmas and the things that are going on in the world and the traffic and the stress of the season, or we can have a joyful heart. And Lord, I pray that that's what we have. I pray that that we're able to think upon those things that are noble, the things that are praiseworthy, the things that are good in our life, that we can cherish those moments that we can take this time to really celebrate you, Lord, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior who came into this world, who came into this world, and in Him we can find joy. Help us to think on those things. Help us to walk through this Christmas season with your joy in our hearts. In Jesus' name,